Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, October 11th edition of the Basement Academy. As we begin with our morning psalm, Psalm 41, this is for the director of music. It is a psalm of David. Some great language in here, and even a little foreshadowing of some things that happened in Jesus' life. So, Psalm 41. Blessed is he who has regard for the weak. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. The Lord will protect him and preserve his life. He will bless him in the land and not surrender him to the desire of his foes. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. I said, O Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? Whenever one comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it abroad. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has beset him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, have mercy on me. Raise me up, that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. In my integrity you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That language, the one who, uh, the close friend whom he trusted, who shared his bread and lifted his heel against him, it's a foreshadowing of what happened to uh, Jesus with Judas, his close friend who, who uh, broke bread with Jesus and yet uh, betrayed him. And so some great language in the psalm. I kind of highlighting the, the last verse, in my integrity you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. And so the struggle for human integrity. Uh, integrity comes from the word integer, to be a whole number. So as opposed to duplicity, where we're one person here and another person there, Lord, bring us to integrity, that we would be the same person everywhere. We live our lives before you, uh, before neighbors, uh, before friends, strangers, all. Uh, we would be the same person. Okay. Uh, discipleship amid disagreements, study number 32, a third tool for those who would wish to apprentice themselves to Jesus in times of division and polarization and dispute and conflict. Uh, the Genesis Quadrant, flip the script, and now think love languages. Think love languages. Uh, let me give you a little backstory uh, to this one. In 2018, summer of 2018, I had the honor of being elected by uh, our presbytery to serve as a commissioner to the General Assembly. I've been talking about General Assembly, right? Some of the decisions that were made this summer. And so it happens every other year. So every two years. So two General Assemblies ago, back in 2018, 
I had the honor to represent uh, with a team of folks uh, from National Capital Presbytery. We went to St. Louis, and I think it was 10 or 11 days. Uh, we were there uh, participating in committee work. And so for the first three or four days, everyone's assigned to a committee, and there's uh, items that have bubbled up through the denomination, through the local churches and the presbyteries that come before the assembly for consideration. And then the committees work those through and then bring forward uh, concise motions and recommendations, um, and they bring those to the full assembly that happens uh, later in the week. Um, I'll be talking about this tomorrow, but I had the honor of preaching also at General Assembly. What a, uh, ended up being the top five highlights of my um, vocational career, no doubt. Uh, but that's for tomorrow. <clears throat> So at the assembly, um, you know, there's all kinds of items that come before uh, the, the, the delegates or the commissioners. And ah, there's 500 of us. I don't remember the exact number. Ministers and elders in, in perfect balance or parity. Okay, so it's an equal number. That's the genius of our system is that it's not run by the pastors. We, there's a plurality or a balance of, of leadership. Well, a number of the items that came forward are not particularly items that um, I, you know, teach or preach on often. So as I mentioned yesterday, conservatives tend to focus on certain texts in the Bible and maybe ignore others. So there's issues of climate or environmental justice. Um, when that motion was defeated to divest from fossil fuel companies, etc., uh, a die-in was held. I had never seen one of those. I was kind of curious. Uh, a, a group of young people uh, there in in the kind of a large lobby or assembly area. Um, there was a large inflatable globe, and they staged a die-in uh, at the conclusion of that day's uh, business activities. And they all lay on the floor as if they had died because action had, had not been taken to uh, address uh, concerns that these young people had regarding climate uh, change, etc. cetera. Uh, there are issues uh, related to, some of them are boring and mundane, you know, missionaries doing this and doing that. Uh, some of the issues had to do with uh, racial justice, um, proposals of a new confession based on uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from uh, the Birmingham jail. Uh, that ended up subsequently being defeated. Um, uh, issues related to uh, gender justice, as it's spoken of, uh, with respect to honoring um, uh, members of the LGBTQ community, and the like, okay? So when I came back to Greenwich uh, after that uh, couple weeks away, I wanted to interpret the activities of the General Assembly to the uh, uh, local church, to, to Greenwich, and as I was speaking about these things, I found, uh, you know, kind of some furrowed brows, you know, as I'm uh, talking in my pastor's class um, about the various uh, decisions and initiatives and overtures, etc. And it, it really got me thinking, you know, it, and somebody asked, you know, are, kind of, are, are, what language are they speaking? Are, are these our people? And, and I realized, 
you know, I'm, I'm around this stuff quite a bit, so I, I forget how foreign some of it sounds to ears that maybe don't hear that very often and hear that as the priority of the church. And somebody asked, was there any discussion of, about evangelism? Was there any discussion about church growth? You know, we're in a shrinking denomination that's losing members annually. Why aren't they talking about that, you know? Uh, somebody even suggested that uh, they come and pay a visit to Greenwich because we we seem to be growing. Why don't they look what we're doing and then, you know, have other churches do that as well? So interesting, uh, good discussion. And so that's kind of the backstory to this notion of thinking love languages. And I, I took a stab at something in that in that pastor's class and I said, have any of you heard of the book the Five Love Languages by Gary Smalley. It's typically, um, you encounter it in the context of premarital uh, preparation or, or marriage counseling or a marriage conference. The, the idea is very simple, that each of us has a primary love language. That is, some way that we express our love and the way that we wish to experience love, kind of the way that we show it and the way that we perceive it or sense it when we're being loved. And I want to make sure I, I, I get these uh, accurately. So the five love languages that Gary Smalley, and he's, uh, yeah, he's some kind of marriage and psychology guy, right? Christian. And, and he talks about affirming words. Some of us communicate our love with affirming words. I love you. You look great today. Thank you. You know, all, all so affirming words, physical touch. So hugging and, and, and affectionate embraces. Gift giving is one of the ways that folks primarily express their love. They just love to give gifts and it's special to them. They love to give them and they love to receive them. Um, acts of service. So, hey, honey, let me, you, you just sit here. I'll take the kids out. Um, why don't you rest? Put your feet up. I'll fold the laundry, you know, that, that kind of thing. Acts of service. And the fifth love language is quality time. Let's just spend time together. Let's just kind of sit, sit on the couch and watch a movie, eat some popcorn. Let's just be together. Let's go, you know, window shopping at the mall, etc. So affirming words, physical touch, gift giving, acts of service, and quality time. The idea being that when, when a couple discovers each other's love language, you can speak that language to them. And so what happens often when couples don't uh, communicate well and when they're struggling, and this is where Gary Smalley developed the idea. So let's say the husband comes home from work, been working, you know, all day, comes home a little late, uh, grabs quick dinner. Thank you, honey, for that dinner. I, I want to, I'm going to go fold the laundry and then I'm going to go mow the lawn and tell you what, I'll give the kids a bath and tuck them into bed tonight. So you just relax. And so she hasn't seen her husband all day a quick dinner, and all of a sudden he's downstairs in the basement folding laundry. He runs out to mow the lawn, and then he's got the kids upstairs, and she doesn't spend any time with him. His love language is acts of service, and so he's been serving the family, uh, making a living, and providing for them. He comes home, and service, 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 with mowing the lawn and the laundry, etc. The wife, her primary love language is quality time and affirming words. Well, she's not getting any time with her husband, hadn't seen him all day, and all of a sudden he's running away. And so they end up in the counselor's office, and and she she's wondering why he doesn't 
love her more. And he's like, I don't understand. I do all these things around the house and I do them more and more and more. I, I can't seem to do enough to communicate my love. Well, they're speaking past each other because they've got different love languages. Okay, so that's the, the basic concept. Okay. And so my aha was, I'm talking to the class, I said, do you know the, the, the book, The Five Love Languages? And only a couple did. So I had to make the explanation. And I said, do you know that the Presbyterian Church has this thing called the Great Ends of the Church? And so in, and I've got it written up here in uh, section F, the form of government, chapter 1, uh, 0304, it's kind of a set of paragraphs. The great ends of the church are the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind, the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God, the maintenance of divine worship, the preservation of the truth, the promotion of social righteousness, and the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. And so I've put them here on the board briefly uh, to proclaim offer shelter for uh, God's children, uh, divine worship, preserving the truth, demonstrating social righteousness, or we might now call social justice, and the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God to the world. This is what the church is about, the great ends, the purposes, the aims, the goals of the church. And so I, I wondered out loud with the class, I said, I wonder if we could think about the love language, uh, the, the great ends of the church as love languages for the Presbyterian family. Some people love to proclaim the gospel and think that that is the purpose of the church. Others think, no, it's, it, you know, going right alongside that is the preservation of the truth. And so we're going to uphold the truth of God's word and we're going to proclaim Jesus Christ for salvation. Others think in terms of we need to welcome people into the church. We need to drop the barriers. Let's not have harsh language Let's, let's take that Bible and, and, and it's, we need it to be there, but, but the Bible emphasizes love, the love of God, the love of Jesus. And so let's, let's protect and shelter uh, God's children. Let's demonstrate social righteousness or social justice to the world. And so my aha was that conservatives and progressives in the Presbyterian church speak different love languages. And so generally for conservatives, evangelicals like myself, the tendency is on worship. It tends to be towards the gospel. It tends to be towards the preservation of the truth. And so, you know, I put a lot of emphasis on Sunday mornings. It's a very stable worship service, but it's an opportunity. We keep it as simple as possible so we can lift our praise to God. We're teaching the Bible, trying to give accurate interpretations and application. And I'm always pointing to that cross that hangs there uh, above the pulpit. And so that tends to be my primary love language. I don't think so much in terms of social justice. I, it's just, you know... Ah, because that's not my primary love language. So in our home, my love language is acts of service. I tend to, you know, how can I help support Krista? What can I do? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a hugger, kind of. I don't always do gifts very well, you know. <laughs> and so, and so, oh, this aha, think love languages. Some of the differences and some of the disagreements that we have in our denomination 
are, they may be related to, we have differing love languages. Progressives lean towards social justice, demonstrating the kingdom of heaven to the world, these outward expressions. So let's march, let's protest, um, let's, let's demonstrate that we're about bringing justice to the world and let's welcome people no matter what they've done in their life, no matter who they are, no matter what identity they have or identity they may choose, we welcome you. And I think that's a helpful way. It has helped me kind of calm down around some of these differences. Now, you wouldn't know it because, you know, last week I was going through specific differences that have been, um, that you know, where there's some tension uh, between Greenwich and the denomination. But that's the tool. It's, again, it's a thought exercise. You know, it's not something you do you know, the Genesis quadrant um, and the flip the script alongside that at think love languages. When you find yourself uh, at odds with somebody or differing with somebody, again, typically it's politically or theologically is where we have a lot of our um, kind of ideological or foundational differences where it just feels like I can't talk to you. Um, that may be a love language difference that you tend to lean in one direction and another person leans in a, in, in a different direction. So um, I, I read a book uh, actually twice. Well, I listened to it, but I call it reading it um, twice this summer, kind of wrapped around the study uh, leave project. And the, the book is entitled The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. It's pronounced Haidt, though it looks like hate. And he talks, and he's an atheist, so he's not a Christian, but he talks about morality. He's a moral psychologist. He talks about moral psychology being like taste buds. And so, you know, you've got the five tastes. It was salty, sweet, sour, bitter, and savory, okay? And so, you know, we've been able to identify that we can taste, diff there's different kinds of taste that we can detect uh, salty, sweet, sour, bitter, and uh, savory. And what he, he suggests in a similar, you know, to the love languages idea, he says morality is, is like that in that there are different moral tastes that we seem to have. Morality is not just one thing. It seems to be a collection of them the same way the various uh, tastes that are in our palate. And so I want to make sure I get this right. There's the, it's care and fairness and loyalty and authority and sanctity. But he says there's kind of a, 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 an upside and a downside. So care, those who have a sense of morality is all about caring for people. They get concerned when somebody is harmed. And so care and harm often wraps around, you know, protection of children fairness and cheating. And so for some, morality is all about fairness. Everybody has to get an equal uh, share of the pie. Okay, that's the equity discussion, right? And so fairness and cheating. And when somebody gets more than their uh, slice of the pie, it feels like they've somehow cheated in some ways. Loyalty and betrayal. So loyalty to friends, loyalty to country, loyalty to church. Um, loyal to, you know, to, to uh, one's commitments and community. Loyalty is the flip side of that, is betrayal. And so 
you know, we read in Psalm 41, my good friend whom I trusted has lifted his heel against me. Judas betrayed Jesus. He was not loyal to him. So for some people, morality is all about loyalty. Others think in terms of authority. There's a structure, there's an institution, there's a hierarchy. We must obey the rules. And so authority and subversion. And so those people who don't follow the rules, they're subverting good order. And so some people think morality is about authority. And then others think in terms of sanctity, the holiness, the sacredness, clean, cleanliness, purity. And so for some, morality is about purity. We don't want to have impure relationships, impure thoughts. And so sanctity and degradation, okay? And so it's a fascinating set of concepts. I hadn't heard them, but it ties into the same themes I'm talking about here. So care and fairness and loyalty and authority and sanctity, these are the moral taste buds. And so similarly, uh, Jonathan Haidt in this books, he maps out uh, conserv political conservatives and political progressives and political conservatives tend to have a taste for loyalty and authority in particular. The Constitution, good structure, good order, law and order rules. Um, you know, we have to support the police. You have to, you know, wave the American flag. And so you can predict, if you see a bumper sticker on somebody's car, you can predict he believes and kind of demonstrates, he talked us through it in the book, that he could say pretty closely that that is probably a political conservative based on the bumper stickers on their car, you know, but save the whales and, you know, uh, protect the planet, you know, probably would tumble into care and fairness and things like this, which would end up being um, political progressives. And so fascinating concepts. Why I suggest this as a tool to think love languages or think taste buds, if that would be the other way you'd want to think about this. See, the, the tendency is, this is where the married couple gets in trouble. Because the husband's love language is acts of service, he's not necessarily paying attention to his wife, who it's affirming words and quality time and maybe physical touch. And so he's out there mowing the lawn and folding the laundry and bathing the kids and you know doing the shopping, and she's feeling unloved. Meanwhile, you know, she comes home and he she just wants to sit on the couch and snuggle, and he's like, There's so much work to do. Why doesn't she do anything around here? What has she been doing all day? You know, he doesn't see the acts of service having been completed. And so the couple talks past each other and doesn't feel the love or the connection. And so we don't feel connected to other Americans who vote differently because we think in terms of morality and what the world needs and what our nation needs according to our own moral taste buds. We look at our denomination and we see that, you know, what are these folks, don't they care about the gospel? Don't they care about the truth? It seems like all they want to do is have another march and have another protest and be talking about social justice. And, and so we tend to feel disconnected from those that we don't speak the same love language. So if we can think more robustly, it, I, it, this is a way of trying to encourage generosity of spirit towards those who may differ, an openness towards other perspectives, um, respect for other people, 
uh, a sense of humility towards the views that I hold, recognizing that not everybody has to like the same kind of food I like. I respect others who have a different, uh, a different kind of palate than I do. And so why should I be offended when somebody doesn't like the food I like but, and I don't like the food they like? Why, I shouldn't be offended by that. And so it's that same idea. And so the, what we want to do is we want to appreciate others and to recognize that the Presbyterian Church and more broadly, people in general, we bring a, a, a diversity of viewpoints. Uh, all of these taste buds, all of these love languages are at work in our world and in our lives. And so let's learn to appreciate each other for the ways that we carry these, okay? So it's another way of, of kind of th learning to think differently about the person that you may disagree with or you may have some dispute with politically, theologically, or, or otherwise, to be more gracious and to think, I wonder what their love language is. I wonder what their moral taste buds, what really makes their, their tongue sing, you know, and, and delight. And it starts to get our eyes off ourselves and to pay more attention to the other person. So anyway, a third tool, think love languages. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the ways in which you've made us and, and the, the rich a variety of human beings and human perspectives. Uh, and, and so help us uh, to be kind and generous and gracious and open and full of respect and appreciation for those with whom we differ or who differ from us in, in so many ways. May we learn to appreciate uh, these differences as you give us grace. And so we make our prayer in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray together saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may the God of grace and truth, of wisdom and justice, of freedom, may that God bless you and keep you and pour his Holy Spirit into you this day and forevermore. Amen.